This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. Our scripture reading today comes from various selections in the book of Proverbs, and we'll begin with chapter 3 and verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Chapter 12, whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes its bones rot. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Scott. Please be seated. Good morning, I'm Ted Sin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's my delight and honor and privilege to uh, preach to us from the book of Proverbs. It's a sermon on envy and coveting. And uh, to be honest, I almost passed over this topic altogether in Proverbs. All of the resources I have been studying in regards to Proverbs and all of the resources I have used to select sermon topics from the book of Proverbs, all of them say, you must preach a sermon on envy. And yet I did not decide until this Monday that I was going to preach on it. For 20 plus weeks now, my working assumption has been that we would not deal with envy. Uh, Truthfully, I wasn't uh, that intrigued by it. Uh, Frankly, I didn't think it would be that applicable to us. I didn't think it would apply directly to who we are and maybe what we're struggling with, but I was dead wrong. While it is ultimately up to God whether or not he convinces you that we're eaten up with envy, Getting you to that place of believing that we are is my prayerful goal this morning. The, the assumption of Proverbs as a whole, the, the assumption is that we're tempted with, we struggle with, and, and we often fail in regards to envy. If you were to turn to chapters 22, verse 17, to 24, verse 22, there are the so-called 30 sayings of the wise. In in one sense, it's a summary statement on wisdom. Three of those 30 sayings, 10% of those sayings are direct commands to not envy. 2317, let not your heart envy sinners. 241, be not envious of evil men. 2419b, the second half of the verse, be not envious of the wicked. So from that perspective, from that particular summary of wisdom, about 10% of our repentance, 10% of our confessions of sin, 10% of our dependence on Jesus and needing his grace and his mercy, his forgiveness and his power, 10% of our requests of others that they pray for us in regards to character change we want to see happen in our hearts, about 10% should be on envy, envying, being envious. 
Now, it's my humble and it's my grateful and it is my often confirmed opinion that City Church as a church culture is a culture of repentance. One of our strong cultural values is that leaders repent. We believe that leaders should believe the gospel and model the gospel, that God changes us when we humbly and tearfully and heartfelt ways when we repent. We often repent in, in the liturgy and the worship flow that we put together for you on Sunday mornings. I am uh, your pastor and I am your friend and, and I try to, um, to make sure you guys know that I am just like you in as many sermons as possible, that I'm self-centered, I'm a rebellious mess. And I often try and tell you that because I don't know all of you personally anymore and you don't bump up against me and intuitively know it. But in this culture and in this environment where many see us as a repentant group of people, I don't hear myself and I don't hear you repenting for envy and coveting. And certainly not 10% of the time. And while my memory is by no means perfect, I think I've got a pretty sharp one. And until this past week when I started studying this and asking my friends and family about it, I have zero memories, none, not one memory of anyone at City Church in two and a half years repenting, confessing out loud, admitting a struggle with envy and coveting. That's amazing. When I think about what I have said, what I have heard, when I think about myself, uh, my city group, my flock, listen, over the last two and a half years, I have heard numerous confessions of anger, lust, selfishness, pride, deception, slander, various addictions, even adultery and, and murderous rage, but never envy. And in six short days, I've come to the conclusion, the conclusion that we are absolutely eaten up with it. And since healing and change will only come about if we learn to confess it to God and one another, and since healing and change will only come as we pray for each other in the context of community, we have a sermon as painful as it's gonna be on envy and coveting. Three points, envy and coveting in the Bible and in Proverbs, envy and coveting in our hearts and lives, and then finally, the end of envy and coveting. In the Bible and Proverbs, in our hearts and lives, and in the end of coveting. So first, uh, let's get started. Let's kind of define and understand uh, these biblical terms very simply. This, you gotta catch this part right here so you understand the logic of this whole sermon. Very simply, we covet things and we envy people. We covet things, uh, almost always good things, and we envy people. They could be good people or they could be bad people. We envy them for what they have. First, we covet things. Exodus 20, verse 17, the most famous Old Testament passage on coveting, the 10th commandment. Listen to the emphasis on things. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that is your neighbor's. From large to small, we have the capacity to covet just about anything our neighbor has. The Ten Commandments, obviously, Old Testament. Listen to Jesus in Luke 12, New Testament. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Paul in Act 20, Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Pardon the interruption. Uh, excuse me, pardon, that's a great show on ESPN. Pardon the repetition. <laughs> but in the Bible, we covet things. We envy people. More descriptively, we envy people because they possess what we covet. Genesis 26, 14, Isaac had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Psalm 73, a classic psalm on envy, one that we should all consider studying this week. It actually will give a review of this entire sermon. The psalmist writes, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity, their welfare, their possessions. It doesn't say I was envious of their possessions, but I envied them as a person, who they are because of what they possessed. And finally, from the New Testament, uh, think about the passion narrative of Jesus. Matthew and Mark make it very clear that Pilate perceived that the chief priest had delivered Jesus over to him. And although Jesus was guiltless and innocent, he knew that they gave uh, him over to him because they, quote, envied him. They coveted what he had his ability to teach, his authority over unclean spirits, his rising popularity. And so the coveting of those things led them to envy the man who possessed those things and their envy led to hatred and malice and deception and eventually murder. We covet or overlove things and in time we begin to envy or eventually hate people for having those things. With this in mind, let's turn our attention to the book of Proverbs on this topic of envying and coveting with one exception, with one exception that I'll show you later, it's kind of hard to see. With one exception, Proverbs speaks of a particular strand or variety of envy and coveting. You have to get this so that the end of the sermon will make more sense. Proverbs kind of speaks to one strand of what the Bible teaches about envy and coveting. Go back to your worship folder and, and let's work through these together. Listen to me and see if you can pick up on the particular strand that's taught against in Proverbs. Chapter 3, verse 31, do not envy a man of violence. Chapter 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners. Uh, 24, 1, be not envious of evil men. 24, 19, at the end, be not envious of the wicked. And in chapter 12, 12, it's the only mention of coveting in Proverbs. Note the possession that is coveted. 12, 12, whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers. And so now, of course, here's the point. Here's the particular strand picked up on in the Proverbs. The young men, the original audience for Proverbs, they're repeatedly told to not envy the wicked, the fool, the sinner, the evil, to not covet the spoils of the evildoer. And this is why. I personally can't think of an instance in Scripture where someone covets an inherently bad thing. I think we covet good things, things created by God to be enjoyed and gifts from him at the right time and in the right way. But Proverbs is letting us know that we can envy wicked people who get good things at the wrong time and in the wrong way. So if you were to study the context in chapter 3, verse 31, it says, do not envy a man of violence. There's a group of men who are going to tempt the young boys to join their gang and getting riches, food, and other things, and they're going to get them by violence and not by working hard. And so the temptation is to try and get the good things 
in wicked ways. Or later on in chapter 23, between 23.17 and, and 24.1, these two commands on not envying sinners, between uh, those two, um, the sage is going to talk about lots of good things that the wicked obtain or, or take or enjoy at the wrong time and in, in the wrong way. Alcohol, they abuse a good thing and become drunks. Food, they abuse a good thing and become gluttons. Sex, take a great thing and become adulterers. So to summarize what the Bible and what Proverbs teaches so far, we covet things, good things, and we envy people, good or bad people, because they have the good thing we want. And the good thing um, that, that we have this inordinate and this excessive worshipful desire for, those things that, that we believe will give us life and significance and meaning. But the scriptures don't stop here. They teach that envy includes or at least leads to hatred. It's not just that we covet a thing and we envy the person with that thing. Scripture teaches that in time we will begin to hate the person who has the thing that we want. As a quick example of the teaching of scriptures on a broad level, Titus 3, Paul says that we pass our days in envy and malice. Malice is ill will. It's planning evil against someone. We pass our days in envy and malice, hated by others and hating one another. Do you uh, remember the name Michael Eugene Thomas? I doubt you do, but maybe. Michael Eugene Thomas was murdered on May 2nd, 1989 by James David Martin. Michael and James were best friends at one point, but on May 2nd, authorities found Michael's body. It's okay. Authorities found Michael's body in the woods near his school. Do you remember how they found him? Do you remember how they found him? On a cold winter day, he was shoeless. James killed Michael over a $115 pair of Air Jordan shoes. First, a close, intimate friendship. Then, coveting a pair of shoes. Then, envying the person who owned the shoes. Then, hating the person for having the shoes when he didn't. And finally, deception and murder. You don't think that can happen to us? We reason. They're poor, they're uneducated, they're underparented, they're less than successful kids. That's not gonna happen to us. Do you remember the name Lisa Marie Nowak? I bet some of you do. Throw that picture up there for Michael. I guarantee you'll remember her now. You remember her? Listen to her. A graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. A graduate of the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School. A U.S. Naval Officer. A NASA astronaut who flew aboard Discovery to the International Space Station in July of 2006. How did she go from this to this? Do you remember? She coveted a man as a possession. Her coveting of that man grew into the envy of a woman, Colleen Shipman, who had that man. And somewhere between Houston, Texas and Orlando, Florida, her envy grew into hatred, malice, deception, and what could have been a murderous rage. Do you think she thought Let's say in July of 2006 at the International Space Station, I bet seven short months from now, I'll look like that. Coveting, envy, hatred, malice, 
deception, gossip, slander, murderous rage. The scriptures teach we should be humbled by just looking at something and wanting it more than we should. So if that is envy and coveting in the Bible and Proverbs, uh, sort of a theoretical out there level, let's move now to envy and coveting in our hearts and lives, more of a practical in here level. Let's see if we can uh, unearth some areas in need of reflection, inspection, and prayer. Because I don't see in my life and yours, because I don't see an acute and particular awareness of what we covet, uh, who we envy, and who we eventually hate, I I thought a good place to start in application is just to simply list out all the things or possessions I found mentioned in Scripture around envy and coveting. And and then from this list, we can sort of move to some diagnostic questions, okay? So first, just a biblical list of items to covet. This is my gift to you. I hope you appreciate it. As I go through this list, you're gonna get to do the work of asking yourself, uh, hopefully in the context of community, you'll have to ask yourself, what do I covet? What do I have an excessive, idolatrous desire for? Uh, What good thing do I look to for life as though it's the creator? First, money. Deuteronomy 7, Joshua 7, Acts 20, silver and gold. Do you covet the dollar figure that shows up on your neighbor's bank statement? Do you covet what you perceive to be security and freedom, ease and control with which they move through life because they have money? First, money. Second, uh, things money can buy. Clothes. Acts chapter 20. Peter says that he did not covet their silver and gold, nor did he covet their apparel. Joshua 7, do you remember Achan? Uh, He sinned by taking uh, some of the spoil that was devoted to destruction at Jericho. The Israelites were supposed to destroy absolutely everything at Jericho, and he decides to take some of the spoil. And not only did he take silver and gold, but he mentioned explicitly that he saw and coveted a beautiful cloak. This morning even, it's possible that you over-noticed what someone else was wearing And while you may have complimented them to their face, it's possible that your heart was given over to coveting. Other things money can buy, houses, fields, and employees. They're called servants in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 26, Exodus 20, Leviticus 5, Micah 2. We can begin to covet um, what money can buy, like, like houses and fields and employees to do the work. We can begin to covet the tools and the technology that other people have to get their work done. You can covet oxen and donkeys. You, you can covet so many things that money can buy. Uh, the, the commandment, the 10th commandment says, don't covet anything your neighbor owns. Cars, SUVs, jewelry, vacation, vacation homes, golf clubs, fishing boats. I guess I probably should have, I guess I started with jewelry. Everything else on that list is mine. I guess I should have thought about the women in the room. Third, we covet not just money and not just what money can buy. We covet things money can't buy. Things that we have very little control over, like, for example, a certain body type or figure. Psalm 73, I was envious of the arrogant and the wicked. Reason number one in the Bible, their body and figure. Anybody in the room struggle with that? Coveting body image, dimensions, sizes, etc.? 
other things that our neighbors own that would fall under anything in the 10th commandment and would also fall under this category of the things that we have no control over. Athleticism, endurance, social success based on personality and disposition, a fast metabolism, the ability to eat anything and never show it, a, a lifetime on the lips and near a moment on the hips. <laughs> How about this, something else you have no control over, who your parents are. How quickly can we at various ages covet the parents of our associates? In elementary school, I coveted the parent who gave uh, their kids candy. In high school, I coveted the parent who gave their child money and a later curfew. As a young adult, we can covet the parents who, who are hip and professional, in touch and sexy. When we get older, we can covet the parent who is rich and about to die. That goes back to money and what money can buy. Next thing, uh, from the scriptures, the things that we'll covet that we have no control over, the ability to have children or a certain kind of child. This is a little touchy and difficult, I know, but let's just think about it for a second. You remember Jacob, right? Isaac's son in Genesis. Remember Jacob? He works 14 years for Laban. He gets two wives, sisters, Leah and Rachel. As the story unfolds, Genesis 29 and 30, uh, you're going to read of Jacob's children if you go there. They eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 boys were conceived amid envy and hatred between Leah and Rachel and their maidservants. Remember verse 31, remember who is in control of these things. The Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceives four sons in Rachel's barrenness. Listen to Rachel speak in chapter 30, verse 1. She saw that Leah bore Jacob, or she saw that she, speaking of Rachel, uh, bore Jacob no children. She, quote, envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob got angry with Rachel and said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? If you're struggling with, infinite, with um, infertility, if you're trying to love on folks struggling with it, you can begin to just read those two verses and feel what it's like to be in that relationship. Later, when Rachel's maidservant bore Jacob a son, Rachel wrote this, and look at the result of her envy. With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. And then God was gracious to Rachel in the end. And it says in verse 22, despite all of her sin, her envy, her hatred, her wrestling, the grace of God, God listened to her prayers and he opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son. Back to us, thousands of years later. We've all sat in that city group, at that dinner party, at that family reunion where somebody stands up, clings a glass, and announces that they're expecting a child, and there is an instant elephant in the room. What is that elephant? Someone else has been painfully trying to conceive children for years, and they can't. What's going on there? Well, there's a lot going on there. 
But I'd like you to at least ask this question. Is some of what's going on there coveting, envy, and maybe even hatred? One final thing we covet or, or people that we envy or even hate for having it. One, one kind of final thing that we have really no control over or more accurately, I think it's better said, we can't possibly buy it. Do you remember how I said earlier, talking about this particular strand or focus in Proverbs, I said there's one exception, there's one difficult to see exception that I'll show you later. This one place in Proverbs where, where we, um, we are not envying the wicked for good things, but we're envying, envying a good man for a good thing. It's veiled, it's hard to see, but let's try and uncover it together. Look at 1430 with me. A tranquil or healthy heart Gives, light to the, uh, gives life to the flesh. But envy makes the bones rot. So we've already covered multiple times in this series that the, uh, the idea that a negative emotion, anger or envy or other, a negative emotion, if it's not identified, understood, in some ways sort of controlled and redirected, that negative emotion can absolutely wreak havoc on a person's physical well-being. But we've also come across this idea of bones rotting in Proverbs. Do you remember the only other time in the book this idea of rotting bones comes up? Chapter 17, verse 22, three short chapters later. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame, the foolish, wicked wife, is like rottenness in the bones. Do you remember what we've learned about Proverbs so far? The sage, the editor, the collector of Proverbs, he's expecting us to look through the entire book and consider every proverb on a particular topic, let's say envy. And then he's asking us, he's saying, consider how all of these various topics are related to one another. How are they intertwined with each other? Um, How does this topic of envy, let's say, relate to other topics like how to pick an excellent wife? And the point is this, that the connection between the two Proverbs is pretty obvious. A foolish wife is like cancer in the bones because the husband is given over to envying his neighbor and the wife that he has. The final item in today's list of things that we covet or people that we envy for having what we covet is a spouse, a good spouse, an excellent spouse. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Listen to me as a man, as your leader, as your teacher and your pastor. We have a massive problem with this at City Church. Singles who covet a spouse in theoretical terms Singles who covet their friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Singles who envy and hate and cannot enjoy the one who is dating, engaged, or married. Married folks who cheat on their spouse by coveting their neighbor's spouse. Married folks who cheat on their spouse by coveting the fictional character on a computer screen or in a romance novel. Married folks who envy, sometimes hate, even gossip about, root against, want evil for a peer who has a spouse that they dream of and deem as more desirable than the one they have. We're eaten up with it. 
the root of so many of the sins that we are free and willing to confess are found in coveting and envy. So that's a list from the Bible of things we covet, people we envy. Some diagnostic questions for us to consider in community, maybe even in your city groups this week when we talk about this sermon. In regards to coveting, what is that possession you have to have? When you know, when, excuse me, when you mow the lawn, when you go on a road trip, when you sit on an airplane, when you lie awake in bed in the middle of the night, when nobody's there to bother you, when you have that moment of solitude, where does your mind go? What do you think about? What do you long for? Next, in regards to envy, who is the person or group of people that you can't seem to weep when they weep and you can't seem to rejoice when they rejoice? One of the resources I use in preparing sermons in this series is a sermon series by Tim Keller, a preacher and a teacher in New York City. I would strongly recommend you buying the entire series. Um, It's fantastic. He makes a fantastic point here uh, from Romans 12 in identifying who we envy. He said this, think about the people ahead of you in in, in this way. Uh, Think about those ahead of you. they, They have what you covet. You know you've progressed from coveting to envy when you can't rejoice with them when they have what you want. And also you know you've gone from coveting to envy when they lose what you want and, 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 and you, you can't seem to weep with them over the loss of a good thing. So maybe this envy idea is new to us. Maybe that's an angle where we can study it and think about it and see the sin and, and turn from it and hate it and confess it and beg God to save us. Finally, in regards to hatred, what person or group of people do you love to hate? Now, not everyone we hate falls into this category, but there's at least this biblical chance that the reason we hate them is because we envy them because they have something we covet. It's at least worth asking a question. We didn't think, I didn't think, we need a sermon on envy and coveting. So we've covered what this is biblically and we've considered where we might find it in our own hearts and lives. Let's turn our focus on how envy and coveting will end. The end of envy and coveting. Uh, Derek Kidner wrote a short but very helpful commentary on the Proverbs and he summarizes all that we have said so far or a lot of what we've said so far really well. Listen to this. There's a simultaneous... There is a simultaneous admiration and resentment which make up envy, springing from an undue preoccupation with oneself and with the present, springing up from an undue preoccupation or obsession with oneself and the present. He says this, the remedy to envy is to look up and to look ahead. So we're going to look at these in reverse. We're going to talk about looking ahead in terms of perspective. We're going to talk about looking up in terms of worship, okay? The remedy to this is to look up and to look ahead. First, envy and coveting begin, they begin to end. They begin to come to an end when we look ahead in terms of perspective. Look back in your worship folder with me at these Proverbs I've given you. Remember the particular strand or variety of envy that is emphasized in Proverbs, okay? 
So in this particular way that envy works, uh, looking ahead is very helpful. 331, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways or paths. And this is why, look ahead. For the devious person, the one who deviates from the path of wisdom, that person is an abomination to the Lord. They are detestable to God. They turn his stomach. They make him nauseous. But the upright, uh, those who are straight on the path of wisdom, they're in his confidence. They're in his counsel. They're in his fellowship. They're in his gathering. Uh, Literally, uh, while the devious make God nauseous, he is intimate with the upright. They're in his inner circle. Keep reading. Look ahead. The Lord's curse is already on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Go down to 35, future tense now. Look ahead. The wise will inherit honor, but fools will inherit disgrace. So in this particular strand of the conversation of the Bible, keep this in mind, that while the righteous who disadvantage themselves for others can't seem to get ahead, and while the wicked seem to get ahead while taking advantage of others in the here and now, one day, because God's blessing or curse is already in place, The wicked and righteous will change places forever. Look down at 24, 19, and 20. Look ahead. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. It doesn't say don't be afraid of them. It says don't get yourself fretting over them. Don't get worked up and all hot and bothered by them. Don't get into a judgmental condemning fit because of them. And be not envious of the wicked. And this is why. The evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Next, uh, go back up to 23, 17, and 18. Look ahead. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord. We're gonna come back to that statement in a moment, talking about looking up in worship. Surely, this is what he's saying, look ahead. For, it's the same word as for in the previous verses. Surely, this is why don't let your heart envy sinners. There is a future and your hope will not be cut off. And so Proverbs is clear. Almost every command to not envy sinners for getting good things in evil ways is supported with the call to look to the future and consider how all of it's going to end. Now this is a particularly helpful bit of teaching when when envious of wicked people, but it does me personally no good whatsoever for two reasons. Two places. I'll come back to the second in a moment. But for now, what am I supposed to do about the envying of good people who have good things? Because see, they have it now and they're gonna have it later. (laughs) All I can say is this, look up in terms of worship. This is the only remedy that will deal with that. Look up in terms of worship. Chapter 23, 17, and 18, the sage gives us two strategies that will help us not let our hearts envy sinners. In addition to looking ahead and and to our future and hope, verse 17b, continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. This is the language of worship. Do you see this? It's the language of passion and zeal, ardor and fervor. It's the language of worship. It doesn't simply say, fear the Lord. It says, but continue in. Don't give up on it. It could mean increase in the fear of the Lord. And it says all the day, not just part of the day when you wake up, all the day when you see that person. 
that has what you want all the day, fear the Lord. The remedy to all envy and coveting is to fear, to be in awe of, to submit to, to surrender to, to worship Yahweh. How does this diminish envy and coveting? Because coveting is worship. We are looking to created things and we are worshiping them and we're acting as though they will give us life if we bow to them. We look to them as if they're the creator, as if they can give us the life we've always longed for. So by increasingly worshiping God, the one who gives life in reality with more of our day, the righteous, the upright, the humble, the wise, they go down to the root of coveting and envy and they engage the resources of their heart in the worship of God, the creator instead of created things. And so before we sing songs together practicing that teaching, let me speak to our hearts for a moment and remind us of who God is and why we worship him. Do you know the second reason that teaching about the future does me very little good? is because of this. What if you, like me, are more accurately described as violent, devious, wicked, scornful, foolish. Do you see what it says? The upright are in the inner circle. The righteous have his divine blessing. The humble are already recipients of his favor. The wise will one day inherit honor. What if we're violent, devious, wicked, mockers, foolish? We rightfully deserve disgrace and scorn and divine curse. And finally, rightly so, in the Proverbs and by my life, I deserve in my own skin the abomination of God. It does me no good to think about the future if I've lived life the way I have. We'll find no consolation in looking ahead unless we find great and deep joy in looking up and seeing the God we worship is the lion who sits on the throne and looks like a slaughtered lamb. Simply this. We are righteous. We are upright. We are humble. We are wise, not because we've earned it, not because we pulled it off, not because tomorrow I promise I'm going to do better. I am all of those things because Jesus was those things. And when he goes to the cross, he takes my place and he gives me all of those things. He was in the inner circle forever. He leaves the inner circle to come and be forsaken by the Father so that I can be brought into the inner circle, although I deserve to be forsaken forever. He had every blessing imaginable in Galatians that said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's cursed in my place. I get his blessing by faith, not works. He carries my sin, your sin, in his body, on the tree, and at the cross, do you know that he is detestable to the Father? The Father's stomach turns in nausea. And when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is this, you're despicable to me because you're wearing their sin. We covet things and we envy people. We're dissatisfied with who we are and what we have. And to the degree that we will realize who we are and what we have in the gospel, our hearts will worship him in coveting and envy and hatred will be rooted out at the core. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we pray for eyes to see this. We pray for eyes to see the glorious work of redemption that is you, that is your life and your beauty and your obedience and your death and your resurrection and your ascension and your current sitting upon the throne as the king of kings. May we look up and see you and may fear and worship and awe fill our hearts because you have loved us so tremendously. And may we worship you and not things. May we be freed up from envying and hating people. Would you, by your grace, save us? We're in desperate need of it this week. Amen.